This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to Edge of the Box, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with BetVictor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by mere mortal Josh Wright from Who Scored and the award-winning <laughs> Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan, an excellent week for you. Tell us about your award. Oh, it's tremendous. I had a lovely night on Monday. Um, yeah, I picked up all three that uh, I was vaguely involved with. Uh, nice. So, newspaper of the year with The Guardian, podcast of the year, remarkably not this one, but The uh, Guardian's Football Weekly, and, uh, and right with you for the third time. The, the famous treble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, um, I was sat next to Barry Glendenning, who obviously was part of two of them. And then he won radio show, which I think I've been on six times in the last year. So, like, a little bit that's mine as well, really. Clean I've it. been on that show a couple of times. And well, despite that, the they, uh... <laughs> yeah, they still managed to win. I think I'm on, it on, I'm on it on Sunday, actually. I was also sat in the car before the Villa game on whenever Villa played Wednesday. And my dad was like, pass on my congratulations to Jonathan, please. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that because he doesn't know who you are. So that would be absolutely pointless me doing that. But obviously, I've done what it. What do you think? Anyway, um, it's it's said, always nice to, to hear from the fans. He said he was your biggest fan. That was what he said. And oh, I said, that's, that's nice to hear it. Yeah. I said, no way, Dad. I am absolutely no. <laughs> well, let's get into let's get into the podcast. Let's bring Josh in instead of talking about Jonathan for the whole show. Premier League team of the month, Josh. Yeah. So it's time for our only little award section, I guess. Now, um, I, I won't be in that one either. No, unfortunately not for the Premier League team of the month. But yeah, so this is just the Premier League team of the month for November. Um, it's a nice team, actually. 4-3-3. Uh, starting in goal, we have Alvaro Fernandez, who has replaced David Rea in goal at Brentford because of injury. Um, last month, he averaged five saves per game, so he was very busy. Uh, and then moving into the fence at right back, we've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. Alexander uh, he actually had the most goal contributions of any player last month, which is quite, quite impressive for a defender. Uh, he's actually our player of the month as well. Um, and in in, uh, in the heart of the defence, we have Virgil van Dijk, his teammate, and Max Kilman, who's a bit of an interesting player. He's supposed to be on Gareth Southgate's radar for England. So that's maybe something to watch out for going forward into the new year. And then Jao Cancelo completes the back four. Uh, into midfield, we have Bernardo Silva, who, Dan, unfortunately crushed your dreams in midweek with a pretty nice goal. Um, he's in midfield alongside Rodri and Conor Gallagher. Gallagher, someone we'll talk about a bit later on in depth. Um, and then the front three is Mo Salah, Diogo Jota and Emmanuel Dennis. So a pretty good pretty good team, I'd say. Yeah, good side. That is Jonathan. Who scored have done well there? Points they have, yeah. Can't really argue yeah. that. And good to see Kilman getting uh, getting recognised. I think he has been really good this season. I mean, Wolves', Wolves defensive record is exceptional. There were 12 goals conceded, I think, in 14 games. Um, so I think there's only uh, City and Chelsea have conceded fewer. Um so, yeah, uh, it's good. Well done. Yeah, Bernardo Silva as well. He did crush my dreams on Wednesday, but I've got to say he was an absolute joy to watch in the flesh. Oh, I know Salah, Salah will win player of the year. Well, yeah, one of the, I mean, you know it's good when, I mean, I sit in the whole end, so you know it's good when the goal goes in and the home fans are clapping. Yeah, mm. That's, a, that's yeah, yeah. a good goal. There was a lot of home fans clapping. But, you know, Bernardo Silva, Salah will get player of the year, but Bernardo Silva's been excellent all season. He obviously doesn't score the goals. Salah scores, but he's been unbelievable. He, he would be right up there so far. Yeah, and given there was, I think, a serious possibility he might leave in the summer, I think he was pretty unsettled. He felt he'd sort of fallen down the packing order. And I guess seeing Grealish come in maybe um, heightened that. Uh, yeah, to, to 
for him to be in that position now, whereas, yeah, as you say, I think he's probably been the, the best attacking midfielder in the league, is, is a remarkable turnaround. I think he's probably the first name on the team sheet as well, isn't he, Josh? Which is an incredible turnaround. Probably Cancelo's up there as well, but he will probably be one of Pep's first picks now for all the games. Yeah, and I think Pep sort of alluded to that, didn't he, after the game? He said that he is the best player in the Premier League um, and he's he sort of refound that form that he had from a couple of years ago. And as Jonathan said, it's bizarre to think that City were perhaps open to him leaving or that Bernardo Silva wanted to leave, and to see his form now is is pretty, it's incredible, and it's great to watch, as you as you said. Why did, why did Villa try and not try and do a swap deal? He probably wouldn't have come. Yeah, let's try, let's try these things. Let's be ambitious. Let's go to the first game then that we're going to preview this weekend, and I believe it is actually the first game of the entire weekend. It's West Ham versus Chelsea. Jonathan, it says here the big audition for Rice. Is that a bit disrespectful towards West Ham, or is that true? Yeah, I think it's pretty disrespectful to West Ham, but uh, yeah, I mean, clearly there is, a, there is a tier of clubs above West Ham, and, and Rice is is now playing well enough that you think he, he it won't be too long before he's playing for one of them, whether that's Chelsea, whether it's Manchester United, you know, whether it's uh, somewhere else. Um, but yeah, you know, this is a game that's about West Ham stopping the rot. You know, they they haven't won in three. I don't think it's anything to get too concerned about. But if they are going to finish in the top four, particularly if United are now going to improve, then then. Then yeah, they need to arrest that run. Um, Chelsea, I think their season midfield maybe are slightly more vulnerable than they have been. West Ham's bad run seems to have coincided with Ogbonna getting injured, doesn't it, Josh? Yeah, I think that's really disrupted the the, the like the defensive organisation of the team, and I think that's probably going to make it even more important for Declan Rice to be on it this weekend. I think Rice obviously isn't heading into this game thinking about a potential move. His focus is all about Chelsea, but I think it's only natural for people like us, maybe those at Chelsea, just to keep an eye on him. Obviously. Nowadays, more goes into scouting than just watching one player, watching one game against you, against you sort of thing. But um, it is a position I think Chelsea are going to need to address in the summer. N'Golo Kante has been and is still one of the best midfielders in the world, but it's getting to the point now where I don't think Chelsea can really rely on him. In his first three Premier League seasons, he only missed five league games through injury for Chelsea, and he's already missed six this season. Um, and, and since Thomas Tuchel's come in, Kante's only started 25 of his 52 games in charge. And he's entering his 30s now. And for someone that's a dynamic midfielder, I don't think that's that's sort of the trend that you want to see from your midfielder. And I think as we saw in midweek, uh, Jorginho is only fit enough for the bench, didn't come on, and Kovacic is still unavailable. And Chelsea really struggled in midfield. Sal Nuguez, again, had, a, had another shocker. He was hooked at halftime for the second time. In, well, in both of his Premier League starts, he's been hooked at halftime. Um, and I think that had his sort of performance had a bit of a knock-on effect on Loftus-Cheek, who didn't perform very well either. So, and I think what's interesting about Rice and Kante is when they first sort of burst onto the scene, they were simply seen as um, defensive, just defensive midfielders. But I think as we've seen, Maurizio Sarri, I think it was first recognised that Kante had the legs and the energy to to be a uh, to be more, much more than that. And I think we've seen with Rice since the Euros, he's he sort of developed that game that side to his game as well. Um, both are averaging the same number of tackles per ninety and dribbles per ninety. Rice is averaging. Um, much more interceptions than Kante. Kante is actually averaging less than one a game now, which is which is quite unusual for him. And I guess maybe that points to the fact that these mus- muscle injuries that he's picking up are not allowing him to to have that um, that burst in short spaces as he covers more ground now. So yeah, I think it's definitely an interesting one. And I think with Rice, as I said, he's not going to think about a move. But I think there have been talks that he has rejected a couple of contract offers from West Ham. Mm. So I think it's only natural that 
sooner rather than later big clubs will test test the waters um but it's just i think it's really chelsea and manchester united that are the only teams that can probably really afford him at the moment and obviously he he was at chelsea when he was younger jonathan do you reckon the guy that let Declan ross go from chelsea in the first place still works at the club i mean chelsea got a habit of doing that haven't they of uh, letting players go who go on to do great things um i mean obviously it happened with lukaku uh, who they have got back it happened with matic who they got back from benfica uh, it happened with Salah, who, who they didn't get back. I don't know. I, I guess it's one of the dangers of um, running an academy in the way that Chelsea do. If you have 40, 50, 60 really, really highly talented young players, sometimes you will let really good ones go. And that's, in a sense, that's part of the model. That, that I think one of the reasons or one of the ways Chelsea have been able to um, afford players that they have with FFP is that they, they sell a lot from the academy. So the academy mm. sort of funds itself and also helps helps lubricate the wheels of um, uh, you know the, the, the transfer policy for the senior squad. The fact that we now have sort of three or four of them playing regularly in the first team as well is, is, is almost a bonus for them. Yeah, fully expect them to sign Tammy Abraham back in three, four years' time. That seems to be the way with Chelsea. Now, West Ham are going to hang on to Declan Rice. They probably need to be getting Champions League football, I would say. Are these now the two best teams in London, Josh? Well, if you look at the table, I think you have to say that, don't you? Chelsea are first in the league and West Ham are fourth. But beyond, and even in 2021, West Ham have got the second most points of London teams. But I think if you look beyond, if you look beyond like the points tallies, I think you'd have to say, say so. I think... What David Moyes has achieved at West Ham with the reputation he had at the time is is just is really impressive. Uh, I don't think many people saw it coming. And Arsenal are obviously the closest to West Ham at the moment in the table, but I, I'm still way more convinced about watching West Ham than Arsenal. I think as mm. you saw last night, Arsenal, I think as they do in quite a lot of games, they start well, but they sort they they're not able to maintain the starts that they have. Again, I think they had three corners against United in the first 90 seconds last night Rashford sliced one over the bar and obviously the manner of the goal that United conceded they were really there for the taking but the Arsenal just dropped off and allowed allowed United to come back in what we've got here is we've got a London best 11 sort of thing in the Premier League so it's a Premier League uh, 11 for the season just based on London clubs it's something we occasionally do for our London partners um, but yeah so I'll just run through the team and we'll, we'll just have a look at how many from each club get gets in um, Edouard Mendy and Ramsdale were actually joint level um, heading into the midweek game, but now Mendy is ahead. Obviously, Ramsdale conceded three in midweek. And then the entire back four is Chelsea, which is perhaps not a surprise given they've conceded six goals. So it's Reese James, Trevor Shalabar, Thiago Silva, and Ben Chilwell. Rudiger's perhaps unlucky not to get in there, but mm. Chelsea, Chelsea's defenders have scored so many goals, it could, I guess, it could be any of them. Um, our midfield three is Matteo Kovacic, Declan Rice, and Conor Gallagher. So I guess that's Chelsea present, Chelsea past, and obviously Conor Gallagher is on loan from Chelsea. Um, and in the front three, I don't think many people would have predicted this at the start of the season, but it's Pablo Fornells on the left, Ivan Tony through the middle and Jared Bowen up front. So that's six from Chelsea, three from West Ham, one from Palace and one from Brentford. None from Arsenal or none from Tottenham. There was, there was a, a rating difference of just 0.01 between um, Emil Smith-Rowe and Pablo Fornells. So it was tight, but yeah. So West Ham are the second best represented team in that eleven. I can almost hear the Arsenal fans clicking that unfollow button from the score <laughs> that Smith Rowe and Saka aren't in the team. Jonathan, would you go along with that team? A London eleven is not something I've particularly given a huge amount of thought to, but no. I think it's interesting. Fornells is in there. Uh, I think he 
he, he's a player who, who slightly, I think, slips under the radar that, that when people talk about West Ham's attacking talents, they talk obviously primarily about Michael Antonio, but also about Jared Bowen. But Fornals, I think, has been excellent this season. And in a sense, he was the person who kicked all this off with the um, with the goal at Tottenham last season, you know, when they came from 3-0 down. Uh, so I, I think he probably is a player who who maybe doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. You know, I just generally with West Ham, when you when you think about them, you you, you sort of think about people like Suchek driving forward from midfield. You don't think of that sort of craft and creativity that, that he gives them. But he clearly is important in in, in, in adding a bit of finesse to, to the to the power and dynamism of the rest of the side. Him and Bowen work very, very hard as well. I noticed that when they played at Villa Park, the amount of running that they do is absolutely incredible. Jonathan, one man who isn't in that team is Mikel Antonio. That would have been unheard of at the start of the season because he was on absolute fire, but he has had a bit of a dip in form. And I guess this is the problem when you've only got one striker. He's got that dip. He's always struggled with injuries. Is it a concern for West Ham? I mean, he hasn't scored in five. Uh, but in that time, he, he did win Man of the Match against Liverpool. Slightly surprisingly, I think. I think it was one of those Man of the Match uh, announcements where you sort of hear the ground going, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and even in that game, there was a couple of one-on-ones that he, he sort of, um, one in the first half in particular, he sort of stumbled over the ball and you sort of thought, that's not that's not great. Um, I don't think he's playing particularly badly. It's just the, the, the goals are slightly stopped from. So um, in the very specific, I wouldn't be too concerned. that I, you know, I don't, It's not he's playing terribly. It's not that he looks knackered or anything. Um, and you know, in that time, he has had the, the the trip to go and play for Jamaica, which which I guess must take it out of players. Um, but I think more generally, yes, it's a concern. Obviously, it's a concern when you your game is based around your your, your attacking play is based around one striker, and there is no obvious replacement for him. And I guess Bowen can move into the middle. You know, that's something they can do. Um, so so yeah, it's I, I'd say it's a concern for the future and something that in terms of squad management, something they will want to point put right. I don't think it's a reason to panic at the minute. When yeah, would I you th- panic though? When would you panic, Josh? A couple yeah, more games? I think it is something it's something to keep an eye on, isn't it? I think as you said at the start of the season, through the first five games, he had five goals and three assists, and he was who scores top rated player in the Premier League at that time. But since the end of September, um has been eight he's played in eight Premier League games, he scored once and he now ranks 149th in that time. Um, he's gone from aver- averaging five shots a game for his first five, five games to just two shots a game in his last eight. Um, and as Jonathan said, the the trips to Jamaica are new for him. Um, the Europe he played a significant role early on in the Europa League, perhaps more than many people expected. So, and that will obviously restart in the new year for them. So I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on if West Ham don't go and sign someone that can play through the middle in January. They have always got his cardboard cut out as backup. I guess that's the only other striker that's anywhere near the West Ham team at the moment because they don't have anyone else. Now, I'm going to need a bit of a lesson here because it says, will Chelsea regret Zuma leaving? Because there's four centre-backs out of contract in the summer. I knew Rudiger was out of contract. I presume one of them's Thiago Silva. Christiansen, out of contract in the summer. Who's the fourth? Aspelacueta is out of contract as well. Oh, I don't class. I don't count him as a centre back. <laughs> I but guess that, in, in, it's heavy. In that is big numbers of out of contract players there. Yeah, they're, they're an interesting club, aren't they, Chelsea? Because you, you see them top of the league, European champions in every competition going still this season. But there does seem to be a bit of a few problems behind the scenes. It, even with Mason Mount in recent weeks, there's been talk about his contract. Players like Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner are wondering about their futures. But Chelsea have managed to get themselves into a situation where um, their four senior centre-backs, if you want to include Aspilicueta, are all, all out of contract. 
and I, I don't think they obviously I don't think they regret selling Kurt Zuma because I think they would have probably thought at the time that they wouldn't have had the problems they've had with Rudiger and Christensen in particular. Um, but yes, it could leave them could leave them short heading into into the summer. I guess this is one of the reasons Jonathan why they went in for Kunda in the summer why they wanted him but then Trevor Shalab has kind of taken his place as well but it is an interesting situation yeah it is I think it's something Chelsea tend to do pretty well um I mean the, the player who it, it, with hindsight looks slightly odd that they've released um or, or sold is Tamori I think rather than Kurt Zuma mm. um yeah purely because of his age profile I don't I mean I almost wonder it happens so often with Chelsea I wonder I don't know what the details of Tamori's contract are whether they they get first refusal on a on a buyback or something Probably, but I, I I do wonder if there's a sense at times that they uh, they sell players almost as a sort of um, glorified loan that they sort of think yeah we'll we'll let him go we'll let him um, sort of go to finishing school and you know it, it, yeah, Benfica in the case of Matic or, or Milan in the case of Tomori and we know that if he is brilliant we can we can always get him back um, I think something similar happened with Oriol Romeo I think it was in his contract that they had they had uh, first refusal on him. But, well, they yeah. didn't. No, but I mean, what I mean is that the that the, that that logic of of letting a guy go, but always having that option, you can get him back. And to some extent, I mean, I, well, I mean, thinking of the Matic case, uh, he cost them what thirty million. But thirty million quid is sort of almost like I don't know, the fees for a really expensive finishing school. Actually, isn't that bad a deal for somebody who came in and won them the title the first season he, he came back in? So. Maybe they, 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 I don't know. Maybe, maybe they can get Tomori back. Maybe they just didn't rate Tomori that highly. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think. I mean, I assume that people like Thiago Silva and Aspilicueta, if offered a contract, would accept it. I mean, certainly Thiago Silva. I can't unless he's desperate to to leave England or you know, return to Brazil. I can't see why he wouldn't accept an extension. Equally, Aspilicueta, um, he's become such a sort of totemic figure at at, at Chelsea. I can't imagine him being desperate to leave. Uh, I would I would assume that if there's a real sort of desire on Chelsea's part to keep him, that, that they can find a way of doing that. Yeah. So I mean, Rudiger's the one. I think Rudiger's been been exceptional this season. Um, I know he only got his first goal uh, was it last weekend, but he he's a threat in in in, in going forward as well as as the the aggression and and, and all the defensive qualities he offers. So. He, yeah, he's the one I, I think they they really will be reluctant to lose. The fact there's four out of contract, I, I, I suspect that's rectifiable pretty quickly. Rudiger knows that Real Madrid are kind of interested in him, doesn't he? And he knows that they can only really bring in free transfers. So I think he, he's sensing a, a pay rise yeah, but, opportunity, but perhaps. I mean, there's pay rise, sure. But yeah, would you really want to... Do, do you really think Real Madrid's are playing a higher level of football now than Chelsea? I mean, I don't. Yeah, he, he can go there and he... he probably has a better chance of winning the league than he does at Chelsea just because there's less opposition, less competition. And maybe it's a bit less intense and, he, you know, you can take it a little bit easier. But if he wants to win the Champions League, say, I mean, I guess he did it last season, but if he wants to keep winning it, I think Chelsea offer a far greater chance of doing that at the minute than Real Madrid. Yeah, I've just remembered that Chelsea have got the buy back on Livramento as well at Southampton. Mm. So it, it is a common theme. And yeah, that tomorrow, I think that Tomori point is very, very valid. That's why he wins the award. I think that is a, a bigger mistake mm. than, than than letting Zuma go. Josh, we've got a bet builder for this game. What is it? In this game, we've gone for, uh, we think Lukaku's been building his minutes up to the point where he might start now, given Chelsea have, have struggled a bit in front of goal recently. Um, he, West Ham are actually the, his favourite opponents in his career. Uh, he scored 11 goals against them. Um 
So, yeah, we've gone for Lukaku to score and then we followed that with Declan Rice to be carded. He's been booked more times than any other West Ham player this season and and maybe keen keen to put a stamp on a big game. And he's he's in that mid, busy midfield area, so we can see that that coming in. Um, and that's been boosted to 12-1 to 1 by Bet Victor, which is an industry best price at the time of recording. Let's have the predictions then. We'll start with you, Jonathan. Uh, 2-1 to Chelsea. Because uh, they have, uh, of the six goals they conceded this season, three have come in the last four games. So maybe they're not quite as defensively solid as they were. So that's why I think they might concede, but Chelsea to win 2-1. Two, 2-1. One. Two, one. Josh, who scored? Uh, we won for 2-0 to Chelsea. And I've gone for 3-1 to Chelsea. 2-1 up, tight game. West Ham pushing forward. Chelsea can nick another one late on. That's the plan for me in the predictions. Next game up on our agenda is Manchester United versus Crystal Palace. Jonathan, did you watch Manchester United last night? Michael Carrick, that's some managerial career. It really is, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting, I think, that he has chosen to leave. And, and I think done in a very dignified way as well, the fact that you know, he just suddenly tells people at the end of the game. Um, I, I presume there's sort of a sense that he he feels he bears some of the responsibility for what happened at the Solskjaer and, and, and you know, he wants to go off and, and, and not be living in Tuchel's shadow and, and sort of being the... The sort of shadow behind the caretaker behind the interim. Um, uh, but yeah, three games, two wins and a draw away at Chelsea. Uh, that, that's, that, that, is, that is exceptional. The, the difference between that Watford game and the way they played in, in those three games is, is enormous. Just the, the organisation, the level of fight, the fact there has been evidence of at least spasmodic pressing. Um, yeah, I, th- I think he's been very good. And I, th- I think he's done his own career prospects the world are good in those three matches. Yeah, I, th- I think it was nice as well from Carrick in that as a player, he never sought the limelight. He always did his job quite quietly, but it was always effective. And I think he, he went out that way as a manager as well. He could have had that final goodbye from the Manchester United crowd, but he, he just surprised everyone with the announcement after the game. So it was, as Jonathan said, a very nice way to go out for him, I think. It's, it's rare, Josh, as a Manchester United fan, that you get to come on a podcast and talk about a Manchester United win. So we'll let you do it. How, how did you find last night? Well, I wasn't too confident after the first five minutes. No, good resilience, actually, a couple of times for Manchester United. Yeah, and it, it was just, especially when the first goal went in and the manner of the goal, you thought, oh, here we go. The play, like As I said earlier, we, we should have been there for the taking, but luckily Arsenal dropped off and allowed us to sort of get back in the game. But... Um, but I think there was there was some stuff there for Ralph Rangnick to to be enthused about and some stuff to be concerned by. Um, I guess what we're going to talk about who like the winners and losers fr- from his appointment at Manchester United. And I'm really hopeful that finally having like a proper coach will will get the best from Fred. I think what we've seen from Fred in most Manchester United games is he does one or two really good things, and you think, oh, okay, he, he's quite a good player here, and then he follows that up with about five or six really bad things. Uh, it, it was quite typical that it was him that stood on De Gea's foot for the opener um but I think as we've seen in the last few weeks he's been pushed a bit higher up and he is he is capable of, of getting to the ball quickly that is one of his strengths and I think that he his um pressing forced the first goal for against Villarreal and he did it a couple of times against Arsenal so I'm hoping that that Rangnick can really get a hold of him and, and just improve his positioning a bit um, yeah, so I think Fred should be someone that should really benefit from this appointment. Yeah, he was absolutely involved in everything good and bad last night, wasn't he, Jonathan? Yeah, that's sort of the way he is, isn't it? I mean, he, he seems a, a peculiarly accident-prone player, um, and, and you know that that's uh, uh, you know if you if you'd said to somebody who hadn't seen the game but who'd watched a lot of United in the last sort of eighteen months or so, a United player still in David De Gea's foot, causing him to collapse in agony. As the ball was lashed past him by Neil Smith Rowe, who was it? 
99% of people would go, was it Fred? Because it, it, he's just the kind of bloke that happens to. And you think of the, you know, the last season, the red card he got, was that against PSG? Yeah. Uh, when he was just a walking red card, you could see it coming a mile off. And, you know, uh, I mean, that in a sense is more damning a Solskjaer, the fact he didn't, he didn't react to, to the fact he was on the yellow and clearly kind of about to collect a second. Um, but then, you know, to, to come back from that and uh, lay on one goal, win the penalty, um, you've got to give him great credit for, for, for not going into the shell. Yeah, there's this thing that, that, that Brian Clough always used to talk about, of moral courage. Players who are who you know who who don't hide when things go wrong for them, but but keep coming back and they aren't worried yeah. if they make a mistake. And Fred absolutely has that. Whatever whatever other doubts you may have about him, and I think Josh's point that he may be a player who who needs more specific coaching in the way that we we've talked about Jaden Sancho being somebody who's very used to having a very directed way of playing, slightly struggling in a in a system where he has to improvise himself. I, I think Fred may be somebody who blossoms from that. And I, I think, I sort of hope he does because, you know, we saw at Shakhtar as a, as a player there, uh, but at the minute he's sort of going to be remembered as sort of slightly, slightly slapstick figure. Um, and I wonder as well, and this is a, this shouldn't be the case, but I wonder if, if sort of people's perceptions of him are slightly coloured by memories of Fred, the, the centre forward from the 2014 World Cup. He was equally hapless and ended up being booed by his own fans and, um, I, yeah, I wonder if this sort of sense of kind of players called Fred from Brazil are just a little bit useless. I've got a mate called Fred as well. And when we play football, he's very up and down. I mean, he's Italian. <laughs> he's very up and down. He'll do something brilliant one minute and then he'll go through on goal and lash it over the fence. It must be something about the name, Fred. There's something funny going on there. Yeah, I'm going to... Yeah, let's do some more research. Let's see how many bad Freds we can find. Let's all pick a winner and a loser then. Josh, are you going to go with Fred? Fred's your winner with... under Fred... Ralph. Fred's my winner, and not well, not so much my loser, but I am still I'm concerned about the time that Rangnick actually has. December's probably the worst month for a new manager to come in who's going to completely transform how a team plays. But some something has to give with Ronaldo. He's at the age of 36. He's not going to start pressing. So does Rangnick compromise in his principles? I don't think so. But something's going to have to give there. So in some ways, I'm going to pick Ronaldo as my loser. A loser with his 801 goals. An absolute yeah. loser. Jonathan, winner and loser for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of echo that. But I don't think it's necessarily been a loser, but Ronaldo's clearly a complication. Now, last night, Ronaldo worked as hard as I remember seeing him work for, for, for years. Um, I, I thought it was a really revealing moment that in, in, in injury time, just, well, sorry, not, not in injury time, in, in the final minutes just before he went off, uh, there was a United break, the sort of length of the pitch, and Ronaldo sprinted, sort of 78 yards and he was clearly absolutely knackered at the end of it and was taken off almost immediately and I don't remember Ronaldo ever looking that exhausted now what was telling was he did have a pace and you know we saw that in there was that goal that Portugal scored at the Euros in the summer the, the sort of length of the pitch breaks he can still do that but the amount of work he put in uh last night if he makes that sort of 78 yard sprint it you know it does tell on him which, which you know which you'd expect but that does make it difficult, I think, for him to play every game under Rangnick. But I, I did think his work rate was was interesting last night. Um, and he only actually made three pressures, which surprised me because from watching the game, it, it felt like he was more involved in, in the defensive action than that. Um, and so whether that was, I don't know, him sort of signalling to, to Rangnick that he is prepared to, to put that work in, I, I don't know. And whether he can do that consistently 
we'll we'll find out. But yeah, Ronaldo's a complication, and I, I think Fred is the player who really could could come on under Rangnick. Jonathan has mellowed with his award winner. That's the nicest stuff I've ever heard you say about Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, well, that's as, as well as I've seen him play for ages. So nice. Yeah. I, I haven't got an agenda against him. I just say what I no. see. No, that's, what, that's what you're paid to do. That's what that's, that's what you're here for, Jonathan. I mean, I've stitched myself up here by going last because I haven't really got anyone. Surely oh, the oh. winner. Surely Van der Baik. Van der Baik must be getting more minutes than, he's, than yeah, he's yeah. had before. He must be a winner. Even if he only comes on for 20 minutes a game, that's still more <laughs> minutes than, than, he's, than he's been getting previously. And, and Sancho as well, I think, should benefit from Yeah. Yeah, he kind of just feels right, Sancho under Ranić, doesn't it? Well, because he, yeah, his best it. football came under under that structured German model. Yeah. So this will be a structured German model. That's it. Should yeah, that should work. I want to pick a different loser to Ronaldo, but I can't think of one. I think it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Rashford because I think he, I still don't think he looks particularly fit. Um, there are a couple of instances in the game where he looked quite slow to turn. They was quite like slow to turn off. So I don't know if his ankles still causing problems. And I think people that watch United week in week out recognize that he's actually quite rubbish at pressing he he's picks and chooses his moments when to run and i don't think he's very intelligent in the way he does it so i think he might need a bit of coaching in that regard but if he yeah, doesn't martial a bit the same you know, i can't see him fitting in anywhere under Rennick at all not on the left not as the lone striker mm, interesting we'll see what happens now someone that does like pressing is conor gallagher where, where was he in the ranking sorry josh for the for the premier league form rankings he... yeah where was he I'll, I'll just run for it quickly. So he's okay. actually fifth. We've actually got a new leader as well for the first time in six weeks. But um, so the top 10 is Bernardo Silva's in 10, Kilman's in nine, Rodri's in eight, Rafinha's seven. Perhaps surprisingly, Stuart Dallas is in six, but he's played in four different positions across his last six games. So I think that's underlined his importance to be also in a time where many people are getting injured. Um, Connor Gallagher's fifth, and then it's Emmanuel Dennis in four. Salah's actually dropped down to three. With Trent Alexander-Arnold in two, and Diego Jota is in number one spot. So, as I said, new leader for the first time in six weeks. But yeah, Conor Gallagher is in fifth. Why Salah dropped down? He's got two goals. He's dropped down to third. How does that I happen? His like it's not anything against it, like him or anything like that. It's just that the ratings of others have just improved much more. So Trent Alexander-Arnold, as I said, he, he was our player of the month in November, and Jota has re- really hanging the goals in as well recently. Bernardo Silva in tenth. I'm not sure I can have that. Unbelievable player. I know I keep saying, I mean, I've used the word unbelievable about 15 times in this podcast. So I do apologise to people watching if they are counting how many times I've used that word. But yeah, Bernardo Silva, he should be higher. Absolutely should be higher. Jonathan, do you like Conor Gallagher? Are you impressed with him so far this season? Yeah, really impressed. Um, the, the, the only slight doubt, and it's not really anything to do with him, it, it's just he, he does strike me as being one of those players who who he's, not, he's neither a defensive midfielder nor an attacking midfielder. He's somewhere in between. And modern football, I think, can struggle to accommodate that type of player. But I mean, he's been Palace's best player. You know, he's incredibly energetic, incredibly dynamic, good on the ball. Um, yeah, well, I mean, what else? What else do you want? He's, he, he's. I mean, I assume Chelsea will happily take him back next season, and maybe given the make of their score, they'll try and make him one of those one of those sitting midfielders. Yeah, he could have Salah's place next season, couldn't he, Josh? Yeah. Definitely. I don't think we'll be seeing him much more, perhaps probably not in, even until January either. But um, I, I watched the Leeds Palace game in midweek and it was a pretty poor game, to be honest. But it's so easy to be drawn into Gallagher's tenacity. It's, it's infectious. He he is so aggressive in the way that... There he, he is, looking out the window. What's, I know, going, yeah. on out, what's going on out there, Josh? You're mid-sentence. Nothing, you can't be looking out the window. 
What's Nothing's going on? going on this time. I was thinking for the word, but um, okay. no, I won't look at it anymore. But yeah, so his, his tenacity <laughs> is just in, it's infectious. And I think Martin mentioned it right at the start of the season that he's sort of been shaped by the loan spells that he had. So he was at Charlton to start with where he was more of a goal scorer. Then he showed his creativity in a passing Swansea team. And then he had to be ultra defensive at West Brom. And now we're sort of seeing all of those blend into one at Palace. Um, he has seven goal contributions in, in 13 Premier League matches this season. That's more than the likes of Bernardo Silva, who's obviously been really good, Aubameyang, Son, even Tony. And on top of that, he averages more tackles per game than players like Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips, Romeo, Rodri and Fred. So he is, he is doing both sides of the game. And as, as Jonathan said, Chelsea would probably happily take him back. And but Trevor Shalaber wasn't on the radar of Thomas Tuchel at all at the start of the season. And now look at him. So I, I don't see why they wouldn't give him wouldn't give him a go. And if they are looking at someone in that midfield area, maybe Declan Rice is too expensive and maybe Conor Gallagher fits into that fits into that role there if he can do the defensive work and he is also capable of bursting forward. What I liked about that synopsis there, Josh, was that all, all the loan spells, they were compliments. And then at West Brom, it was kind of like, yeah, and then he slummed it at West Brom for a season. <laughs> had to work hard, very defensive, worked on his defensive work. I enjoyed that from you, Josh. Well done. <laughs> Palace are getting a lot of praise, Jonathan, but they've only won three games this season. Now, there's definitely been a marked improvement in the way they play football. But three wins isn't great. No, it isn't. I mean, this they've drawn seven. And if you look at the XG, in five of those seven, they've been the better team. And in one of those other two, the game against Brentford, I think it was 0.1 in it. So there's, there's only... It, it sort of feels like they're playing better than the results. And that's partly to do with, with finishing. And, and I think, you know, the fact that Benteke is not the most reliable finisher isn't a surprise to anybody. And then there's games like that Leicester game when they just let in two goals from nowhere uh, that sort of, yeah. I mean, they, they did get a draw in the end, but... The, they, they probably should have won that game on balance. So I just sort of think they keep undermining themselves. Even the late goals they've let in against Brighton, against Arsenal. Uh, they chucked it away against Newcastle. Um, I'd be slightly concerned the way the last couple of games have gone. I think there has been a, a, a dip after that, that very good patch. Um, but fundamentally, they, they, they're, getting, they're getting the praise because people are seeing how they're playing, not, 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 not only looking at the results. Yeah, my Benteke shrine behind me is very sad with the comments <laughs> that you just made that Jonathan got his boots and his shirt. Behind me, yeah. Very, he, very he's actually missed. The, he's missed the most clear-cut goal-scoring chances in the Premier League this season. I mean, how did he not score against Leeds in midway? And that, that proved really costly, didn't it? Because West yeah. um, Palace went on, Leeds went on, sorry, to score. But yeah, it's interesting. I think there's there's maybe perhaps just some teething pro- teething problems for the Palace team. Maybe they've gone from a style of Roy Hodgson to Patrick Vieira over the summer, and maybe they're still adapting to that. Last season, they were third bottom in the Premier League for possession, and now they rank sixth this season. But key passes and shots per game have only marginally gone up in that time. So maybe there is like a, a creativity and finishing problem there, which hopefully when Eberuccieze is, is fit again, maybe he'll help sol- solve that. But Zaha's a bit of a curious case. He's still the main man for Palace, but you're supposed to, and he still has four goals, but we're still really waiting for him to hit top form. Um, dribbles per game have halved, which is interesting. Um, and also his success rate has plummeted. It was 61% last season. And now it's only 45% this season. So he's not perhaps been as effective as has you might you may think he should be. But yeah, against up against Manchester United, I'm sure he'll be very up for it this weekend. I mean, I don't like to go on about it, but I was in the director's box at Palace last weekend, <laughs> obviously full of Palace fans. I actually nearly got myself kicked out when John McGinn scored that worlder at the end of the game. And they were everyone was saying, James McArthur. Oh, James McArthur bit now. That's, that's we're really missing him. He's a, he's a key player. Which I, I found odd. 
is he that good, James MacArthur? They were honestly, they, I heard it about 15 times. People saying that that's really costing us, James MacArthur, not being in that midfield. Well, I think he's just one of those players who lubricates things, isn't he? He just sort of keeps the ball moving. He, you know, he holds his position. He, he's unspectacular. But uh, I think probably one of those players who, unless you are watching him every week, you mm. perhaps don't quite appreciate how, how, how central he is. Um, and, and I mean, I remember. Yeah, Derek Ferguson at Sunderland was, was very similar. You, you really noticed him when he wasn't there, but when he was there, he was slightly frustrated that he, he didn't do more. Um, and, and yeah, there are countless examples of that, that type of play, just somebody who keeps the ball moving, keeps things flowing. Uh, and, and you just sort of, when he's not there, you really you really notice. Mason Mount maybe as well at Chelsea, yeah. a similar thing. People, but what does he actually do? Well, what he does is he lets everybody else play, and he, you know, his positional sense is really good, and that that stops the opposition playing. And he's always gives an angle for a pass, which even if he doesn't receive the ball, he's creating space for somebody else. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure I'd necessarily have said that myself. But I can understand other people who who watch Palace more intently and more regularly saying that. It's a bit like when Martin's not on the podcast, except for nobody's noticed, and it's made absolutely <laughs> no difference at all. Um, Josh, let's have your prediction then. Uh, we've gone for new manager bounce. Not that perhaps they're in that bad form anymore, but Manchester United have conceded in 15 straight games at Old Trafford. So we're going for a 2 1 win in Randy's first game. Uh, Jonathan? 2 uh, 0. Although Palace haven't actually lost at Old Trafford since 2017. Yeah, they won there last season, didn't they? On the first day. Last, last two seasons they've won there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've gone for 1 1. I don't know whether I'm just been a bit cocky because I've had a really good week on the predictions, which we'll come on to in a bit. Yeah, I just thought, week. yeah, just go for a 1-1. Yeah, I can see Palace getting something. Won't be the, the great start that Ranić needs. Or, well, no, it doesn't need it, the start he wants. <laughs> Let's catch up now with Crystal Palace fan and bet Victor rep Sam Boswell to talk about the title race. Sam, welcome. This is looking like one of the most exciting title races in Premier League history. I really, really hope it stays that way and it is a three-horse race coming into the end of the season. But where's the money going at the moment? Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It's really nice to to have three genuine contenders and on paper, they're miles clear of the rest, aren't they? But at least we've got three teams, not just two or, or, or a runaway leader. And Man City, their pedigree is clear for everyone to see. Eight to 11 favourites with ourselves. Part of City's uh, price factor, if you like, is the fact that they have such a strong depth of squad. I would say the strongest in comparison to the other two. I think Liverpool would be the outsiders of three when it came to squad depth brilliant first 11 but you would be concerned and we'll come on to touch on why in a minute Chelsea next in at 11 to 4 obviously under Thomas Tuchel they've been absolutely fantastic really look like he's got a, a solid unit there that can can grind results you know the result against Watford the other night probably didn't play their best football at times looked a little bit like they were clinging on but you never really felt like they were going to concede a second goal at 11 to 4 ourselves now Liverpool the outsiders of three which you know having watched the three games this midweek game week gone past it's pretty surprising given how they demolished Everton. Maybe it says more about Everton than it does about Liverpool, but they're 130. But obviously coming up, we have got the African Cup of Nations. And I think Liverpool on paper are going to be most hurt by this Salah and Mane disappearing off at that key time in the season. The fixtures as well obviously become thick and fast through December. We've got these midweek game weeks. We've got the Christmas schedule. And I think that really is playing into both punter and bookmaker expectations. I think City squad depth is probably the reason they're going to cut through it, which is amazing when you think they don't actually seem to have a a, a Harry Kane-like figure, which 
be interesting to see if January they do look to try and move to strengthen her with a goal scorer. But hey, it's working at the moment for them. Eight to 11 favourites. So West Ham, Chelsea. Yeah, really, really interesting game. Uh, just checking out now. We've got our new player stat total markets already priced up there. Really interesting. Ronaldo scored an absolutely insane total, as you can imagine, midweek. Just to remind you, it's 25 points for a goal, 15 for an assist and five points for a shot. So, for example... We've got the likes of Declan Rice priced up. If you think he's going to have a, a, a game and score a goal or anything like that, you can get a really nice total uh, on over 20 points to 39 points to 17 to 2. If you think he's going to pop up with a goal, a couple of assists or a couple of shots even will certainly help him there. Reese James as well priced up in there. All the different players you can imagine. Really exciting games coming thick and fast. Will the Hammers manage to get the better of Chelsea? We shall see. Uh, just to mention as well, we've boosted Chelsea to win both teams to score 31 to 10. Lovely stuff. Thanks as always for chatting with me, Sam, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Everybody continue to gamble responsibly and we look forward to another great game week. Time now for the just a minute section. And Josh, there has been a barnstorming performance in the predictions last week. Talk us through it, please. You have had a great week. You had four correct scores in midweek so you, and you wrapped up 16 points in total. Um, so just like Manchester City in 17-18, you've smashed the 100-point mark. Uh, who scored got seven? Uh, who scored got ten points? Sorry, and Jonathan got seven. So in terms of the overall leaderboard now, Dan, you're in 106 points with a healthy ten point lead over who scored um, on 96, and Jonathan's on 93. So pushing ahead into the festive period. Yeah, let's cross to Jonathan for an opinion on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I think there was four games I was within one goal of getting it absolutely correct. Um, you know that that extra Liverpool goal against Everton that that, that cost me. Uh, two points. Huge. Um, Watford getting that goal against Chelsea cost me two points. Uh, so you know it's um, long way to go, and um, I'm I'm not disappointed where we're playing, and and we will, if we keep playing like this, we will get the results. So is that a record? That's a record total, isn't it? That's Sixteen points. No one's got that shorter. I think, I think this is the second time you've had four correct scores in one game week. So is it? yeah, in game week yeah. three, I think you got four correct scores as well. But yeah, sixteen points is I think I believe is a record. Yeah, game week three was a very long time ago. I've done a lot, I've done a lot wrong since then, but excellent to have that week. Let's do the just a minute section then. Josh, you're up first, I think. Wolves, yeah, Wolves Liverpool. Liverpool. Okay, yeah. So while Wolves Liverpool, while Wolves have certainly impressed under Bruno Lager this season, they're yet to find their a solution for their shortcomings in front of goal. Just 12 goals scored in 14 league matches is the third lowest return in the Premier League this season, and they have only netted once across their last four. Daniel Pedence should be back from COVID, but Adama Traore is expected to keep, keep his place in the team. Wolves have now lost Marcel to COVID, but they are boosted by Ruben Neves' availability after suspension. Liverpool will be high on confidence after yet another big win on the road, this time battering local rivals Everton 4-1. Liverpool have now scored more goals away from home in the Premier League this season than Manchester United have in total. Mohamed Salah, Mohamed Salah would still be the Premier League joint top goalscorer this season if you just counted his goals away from home. Changes are natural at this point in the schedule, but Jurgen Klopp may actually resist rotating heavily with their with their dead rubber Champions League game round the corner. Joe Gomez and Naby Keita are back in training, but perhaps with a view to featuring against Milan and Wolves this weekend. Liverpool look irresistible at the moment, but and have won their last five away to Wolves in the Premier League. So we're going for a 2-0 Liverpool win. 2-0 Liverpool. Yeah, I feel like Klopp's going to run Mane and Salah into the ground before AFCON as well. He's not going to rest them with that coming up. Your prediction, Jonathan? Uh, 2-1 to Liverpool. Yep, same here. I've gone for 2-1 as well. 
Jonathan Newcastle versus Burnley. Oh, I forgot to do the derbies. That was the Paul Ince derby, Wardley <laughs> Liverpool. Let's do Newcastle v Burnley now. And oh, I mean, I wish I'd not brought that up because I don't have one. Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, Jeff Hendrick. Nice work, Jonathan. Newcastle Burnley for you. Uh, there's a lot of negativity after Newcastle's draw against Norwich uh, midweek. Uh, understandably, in some respects, if you've got Norwich and Burnley at home in the space of a week and you haven't won, they're two games you'd be targeting. I think given the way that Norwich game went, though, the fact that they were down to 10 men so early, to get a draw out of it ends up being being probably quite a good result, even if, you know, having taken the lead, they're perhaps a little bit disappointed that they didn't hold on. Um, and although uh, I don't think they're by any means down already, were they to lose to Burnley, there'd only be one team within six points of them. They've got a worse goal difference than all those teams by a significant margin. And Burnley would have a game in hand. So I think this is a game which they absolutely can't lose. Uh, they're without Clark, Ritchie and Lassell suspended. Burnley don't have Tarkovsky. Uh, Westwood suspended as well. Bardsley, Stevens and Barnes all out. Last season, Newcastle won both games against Burnley. Burnley were unbeaten in five, only one win in that time. Surely Newcastle will get the first win of the season though here. So I'm going to go 2-1 to Newcastle. Uh, we won for 1-0 in that game. And I have gone for 2-2. Two, two. Next up for you, Josh, is Southampton v Brighton, the Adam Lalana Darber. It seemed like there was at least one muscle injury in every game in Wednesday, on Wednesday. And Jan Bednarek was one of those forced off as Southampton drew two with Leicester. They led twice in that game, so I'll be disappointed to have dropped points. But, but with, um, with Jack Stevens only just back from injury, summer signing Leanko may be required for just his second league start of the season. Minimal changes are expected otherwise, with Adam Armstrong and Che Adams looking good in attack. Brighton's one will draw away for, to West Ham came at a cost, with Adam Wester, Jeremy Samiento and Adam Milana all coming off injured. All three will miss out this weekend. Graham Potter will therefore be forced into changes, but will most likely make wholesale changes anyway, as he likes to do. Tarek Lamptey came off the bench to set up Brighton's equaliser. That was his first assist since September 2020, and he is expected to be one of those coming into the team here. Remarkably, the home side in this fixture have not won in any of the last seven, and as four of the last six between the two at St Mary's have been draws, we're going for one all. Good to know the home side never wins, because I've gone for 1-0 to Southampton. <laughs> Jonathan? 1-0 uh, to Brighton. 1-0 to Brighton. Interesting. I think we've got a Saturday 3pm treble, Josh, yep. haven't we? So I'll let each of us go through our picks. And Dan, I've got a surprise for you. Your oh. initial request was rebuffed by Martin. It was, as always. But a bit of Christmas cheer got into him. He's let you have it. Has so it? Yeah, so I'll let you, I'll let you, you can oh, start. I I'll let you go. I don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. I've gone for Callum Wilson to score, but I specifically, when Martin said we needed to play it safe this week, I specifically said Callum Wilson to score the first goal of the game. So that's my leg. But there is reasons that, as well as I'm, as I'm sure you know, he has, he's scored I'm doing five, my research. He scored in five league games this season, and in four, on four of those occasions, it's been the first goal in the game. So exactly. But yeah, you Sensible. knew that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jo- Jonathan, your tip was uh, Liverpool to beat Wolves, but under three and a half goals in the game. Uh, so Liverpool are free scoring, obviously, but uh, there's only been one goal in total in Wolves' last three games. Only Norwich have scored fewer than them. Only Chelsea and Manchester City have conceded fewer. So Wolves keep things tight. But in what I'm calling the Emlyn Hughes derby, I'm, I'm saying Liverpool to win under three and a half goals in the game. Nice. And, and who scored have chucked in Southampton and Brighton, both teams to score? That's played out in the last four meetings between the two at St Mary's. And Bet Victor have boosted that to 20 to 1. So that's the Saturday 3 pm tri- treble, 20 to 1. Jonathan, your next game is Watford against Man City. Well, I'm going to need some help again. Not David James. Leaping up. David James. Tell you what, I reckon you're writing these down. 
making me look a mug. There's literally nothing own, better to do. Yeah, <laughs> making me look silly, which is easily done. Go on, then. City have won six in a row in all competitions since that defeat to Palace. So I think that was just a, a, a little wobble, a little blip, rather than anything more serious. Uh, last three wins have all been 2-1, which uh, I think suggests in part their, their, their problems in, in turning domination into goals. Uh, I've had a lot of injury problems recently. Um, Grealish obviously is back. De Bruyne is still out and Torres still out. Uh, and there's doubts over Gundogan, Walker and Stones. Um, Watford, as we alluded to earlier, are massively unpredictable. Uh, six points of six games under Ranieri. No clean sheet yet. Uh, a couple of those games, they looked all right defensively. Some games they get battered. Some games they score five. Some games they score four. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis is looking really good. Scoring his last three. Josh King scored five in his, his last six in those six games under Ranieri. Uh, they're without... Uh, Saar and Kulu Foster in a Tebe. Uh, and so City surely will be able to hold them off. I'm going to say 2 0. I've gone 3 0 to Manchester City. Josh, who scored? Uh, we've gone for 4 1 Manchester City. 4 1 is a niche prediction. Bit hard to predict for Watford at the moment, aren't they? It seemed to yo yo from the, to the one extreme to the other. But yeah, Man City to absolutely better them. Yeah, can't see them doing Manchester City, to be perfectly honest. Next up, for you, Josh, this time, it's Tottenham v Norwich. And it's another Rule Fox derby. The second game we're running, we've got the Rule Fox derby. <laughs> there is not much to report on the injury front for Tottenham, who are expected to be without Argentinian duo Giovanni Lo Celso and Christian Romero once again. Stephen Bergwijn is reportedly being considered by Antonio Conte as an understudy to Harry Kane rather than Son. So that is perhaps something to watch out for over the festive period. The team appears to be picking itself at the moment, but Conte must be counting down the days to get his teeth stuck into the January transfer market. Norwich weren't particularly inspiring against a Newcastle side that played with 10 men for 80 minutes, but Timu Puki bowed them out with a terrific effort late on. And beaten in four, this is Norwich's best spell in the Premier League since since 2013. A check will be a check will be made on Todd Cantwell, who was out with a COVID-related issue in midweek, but he wouldn't start here anyway after such a disrupted season. Matthias Norman's prolonged absence is perhaps a bigger blow for Dean Smith after his bright start from midfield. Harry Kane has a had a forgettable loan spell at Norwich nearly a decade ago, but he has five goals in three previous encounters with the Canaries. And while Tottenham are, no, are not near where Conte wants them to be, there were signs of encouragement against Brentford, and we are backing a second successive 2-0 win for them. Oh, yeah, I've gone for 2-0 as well. Jonathan? Yeah, snap, 2-0 Tottenham. Worth saying as well, Billy Gilmore playing in that game as ever yeah. for Norwich. Uh, Leeds v Brentford, only one place I can go there, really. The Pontus Janssen derby, Jonathan. Yeah, Leeds, sort of almost without people noticing, I think they've been playing quite well recently. They've taken eight points from the last five games and now only one point behind Brentford, who, after that great start, have um, perhaps walked into reality. Only four points from the last seven games. They haven't played badly at all in that time, but uh, have struggled, I think, with injuries, have struggled to score goals. Uh, goals have also been a problem for Leeds. They've only scored two or more on two occasions this season. But it does feel with Leeds that the whole issue is about injuries. Um, still no Cock, still no Bamford. Ailing's still a doubt, though he is back in training. And Strike is, is also potentially on the verge of coming back. Uh, Brentford, uh, the injuries have started to ease up. I, I think they've been without as many as eight or nine players the last two or three games, only five missing. But Raya, Jorgensen, Ayer are all, all could be major players for them. Uh, when the sides met in 1920, uh, when it was a key promotion battle, Leeds won this game 1-0. It was 1-1 at Griffin Park. Uh, and I think it'll be tight again this time with both teams struggling to score. So I'm going to say 1-1. 1-1. Josh, who scored? Snap 1-0 as well. 
and I've gone for 2-0 to Leeds. I think I've predicted Leeds to win the last four or five weeks in a row. I seem to, seem to be liking Leeds at the moment. Josh, your final game in the just a minute section is Villa versus Leicester, which for some reason I've got in front of me, I don't know why. Julian Jochim, it's the Julian Jochim derby. Did Danny Drinkwater play for Villa? At he one did. Point? <laughs> well, barely. Forgettable learn spell. He's the only player I've ever seen sweating after two minutes of a game, like <laughs> dripping with sweat. <laughs> Awful. Steven Gerrard suffered his first defeat as Aston Villa manager, but was pleased with the responses players showed after going 2-0 down to Manchester City in the first half. The 2-1 defeat did come at a cost, however, with Leon Bailey now out as, with a reoccurrence of his old thigh injury. Matt Target was also forced off and Jacob Ramsey is being assessed after accumulating a few injuries in recent weeks. Gerard was impressed with the contributions of Morgan Sanson and Carney Chukwemeka, who even had a chance to equalise at the end, but the midfield is likely to remain unchanged here. Minimal changes are expected in general, though the left side of the team could be a completely new look with Ashley Young and Anwar Ghazi. It's now no clean sheet in 13 Premier League matches for Leicester after they were forced to twice come from behind to draw two all with Southampton in midweek. James Madison's form return to form continued. He has six goal involvements in his last three and the who scored man of the match in each game. Uh, Samari was replaced at halftime in the draw of Saints and may drop out of the team here, but Brendan Rodgers is not expecting to have any of his injured players back this weekend. Gerard tested himself against Pep Guardiola in midweek and now comes up against the manager who sort of ended his Liverpool career. Both Gerard and Rodgers used the Scottish Premiership to, as a springboard for big jobs in the Premier League and honours maybe even between the two here. Both teams have scored in each of the last six meetings between the two sides at Villa Park. And as Leicester have already drawn three matches two all this season, we're going for a repeat of that here. So two all is the who scored prediction. I've gone for two. One, but remember that Jamie Vardy just has to walk out of Villa Park and the ball's in the back of the net. So that could be a problem. Jonathan? Two on Villa. Two on Villa. Very nice. We've got another bet for this game. As it's the only televised game on Sunday, bizarre. Why is, why is that? I don't know. I don't know why none of the 2pm games are have been picked up. It's a bit strange. Um, but yeah, it's only televised game. So we've gone for similar to the Chelsea-West Ham game. We've gone for a goal scorer and a card to be shown. So we've got Ollie Watkins to score and Douglas Luiz to be carded. That's been boosted to 10 to 1. Um, Watkins has obviously scored in two of Gerrard's first three league games, both of which came at Villa Park. And three of his four league games this season have all been at home. Uh, Luiz obviously loves a tackle and a booking. He was actually booked home and away against Leicester last season and has been carded in three of the last four meetings between the two sides. So that's Watkins to score and Douglas Louise to be carded, boosted to 10 to 1. Douglas Louise, incidentally, was my man of the match on Wednesday night for Villa. Last game then, it's for you, Jonathan. It's Everton v Arsenal. It's the Kevin Campbell derby. Everybody got very excited by that run of eight games unbeaten from Arsenal. Um but if you look back at it, there was a lot of sort of soft fixtures in there that they beat Tottenham, but they beat and they beat Villa, but both when they were at low ebb, they were pretty lucky to get away with it against Brighton and against Palace. Uh, and I think that there's been a sort of um, a resetting of expectations after those defeats to um, uh, Liverpool and, and, and United. And they, 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 yeah, they had Liverpool, they had United there for the taking, and then couldn't couldn't finish them off. And I think that's a real sense of a lack of ruthlessness, lack of hardness in that score, which has been a problem at Arsenal for ages. Everton, though, on a terrible run, eight games without a win. They took 14 points in the first seven games of the season. They've taken one in the seven since. Now, largely that's injury-induced. Uh, no Calvert-Lewin, no Mina, who I think has actually been almost a bigger loss than Calvert-Lewin. No Davis, no Gomez. Salomon Rondon, not that he's been particularly good this season, now has a hamstring problem. Jack is out for Arsenal. Saka's a doubt. Everton won both these games last season. But I think Arsenal should win this one. I'm going to say 2-1 Arsenal. 2-0 to Arsenal. We've gotten really not convinced by Arsenal. But I guess if they can 
just pick off the teams that they should beat, then I guess and they should be there or thereabouts at the end of the season for the for the top four. Uh, but obviously Everton are just in a terrible place at the moment. So yeah, two 0 to Arsenal. I've gone for one one. I'm getting a bit cocky, I think, with my differential predictions this week after after that great way. But yeah, one one, not based on very much at all. That does us for this week's show. Only giving it the big preview for the two games. But yeah, we've gone through every single Premier League game, as we always do. If you are enjoying the podcast and you're not subscribed with your post notifications on, then if you could do that and tell all your friends and family to do it as well, that would really help our podcast. We will be back next week in the usual slot on Thursday. No midweek games next week. So thanks to Josh. Thanks to Jonathan. And what do we do at the end of the podcast, Jonathan? We uh, advise people... And we hope the people should stay safe. That is exactly what we do. Have a great weekend.